0: Father, we do ask that you would pour out your spirit and make us a people that have your heart for people around us who are far from you, and that you'd use us to draw them to yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was this guy, and this is a true story. His name was Victor, and he lived in the U.K., And he went by this restaurant. It was called Barney's Restaurant. And in the window of the restaurant was a sign. The sign simply said, unusual breakfast. Now, Victor was kind of adventurous in eating, so he decided to go in and give it a shot. He sat down, the waitress came to him, and he said, so what is the unusual breakfast? Well, the waitress says, well, it includes baked tongue of chicken. (laughs) He said, baked tongue of chicken? She said, yes, baked tongue of chicken. He said, do you have any idea how disgusting that is? I would never even consider eating anything that came out of the mouth of a chicken. So undaunted, the waitress said, okay, then what do you want? He said, I'll take a couple of scrambled eggs. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about eating. I actually want to talk about the power of eating together. You know, we've been doing this series entitled Be a Blessing, and we're using the word bless as an acrostic with each letter, really being a beginning of a word that is a key ingredient to how we can be a blessing to other people. If you remember, B stands for begin with prayer. If we want to be a blessing to other people, begin by praying for them. You want to be a blessing to your neighbors, your classmates, your co-workers. Begin by praying for them. As we pray for them, we pray that God would change their heart, open their eyes to understand the truth, but also that God would give opportunities for us to be able to be involved in their lives and to share our story, the story of what Jesus has done for us. It's amazing how you begin to pray for someone, how many opportunities actually come your way. You start to pray for someone by name on a regular basis, and you will begin to see all kinds of opportunities. I think God's going to give us more opportunities, but also I think we're going to begin to notice the ones he gives us because we're praying for them and we're attentive to the doors that God is opening. So begin with prayer. L stands for listen. Listen to your neighbors, ask questions to them, hear their story, learn about them, discover what their needs are, their interests are. You know, engaging in meaningful conversation is far more productive than simply broadcasting a message. And we talked about listening last week. As you listen, you will not only learn about your neighbors and how to connect with them, but your very, the very act of listening will show that you value them. And also we, point, we pointed out last week that poor listening actually rejects somebody while good listening embraces. And poor listening diminishes the other person And good listening actually invites them to exist, to matter. So we need to be good listeners. So listen. So begin with prayer and then spend time listening to them, learn about them. And then E stands for eating. So eating together with them. There is tremendous amount of power in that. And I want to talk about that this morning. You know, if you study the life of Jesus in in the four gospels, you'll notice how oftentimes he's eating with people. In fact, just in the Gospel of Luke, there are eight dinner scenes. Just in the Gospel of Luke. The first one is the banquet Jesus shares at Levi's house, Levi, who is also Matthew, the one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. The second is the dinner he has at Simon the Pharisee's house, during which, if you remember, a woman interrupts and washes Jesus' feet. The third is a meal in the wilderness with over 5,000. The fourth is another meal with a Pharisee where Jesus doesn't wash his hands and that becomes quite a discussion. The fifth is another dinner with uh, with another Pharisee, a prominent one where Jesus heals a man with dropsy. The sixth is when Jesus eats with Zacchaeus and the seventh meal in the gospel of Luke is the last supper with his disciples. But the eighth meal is a meal he has as a resurrected Christ on the in a place called a mouse, in which uh, the disciples originally don't recognize him, but then do, and are having another meal with Christ. So we see that Jesus is so oftentimes found eating and drinking with people who are even far from God. In fact, he does it so often that he acknowledges some things that his critics are saying about him. Matthew 11, verse 19 says this, You know, Jesus talks about the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Indeed, the wisdom of Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners has been justified repeatedly all throughout history. And Jesus actually models something for us. He demonstrates a meal with constantly meal, having eating with people who are far from God. And he is modeling a strategic kingdom strategy. Let me explain. Let's take a look at Luke chapter five, where we see where he has dinner with Levi. Let me just back up a little bit. Now, the Levi here in Luke five was a most likely not just a tax collector, but probably a dishonest tax collector. I mean, most of these tax collectors, they were Jews collecting taxes from Jews for the Romans, and they were skimming off the top. That was very common. So everybody hated them. Everybody hated the tax collectors. Pretty much, you know, they all uh, excluded them from their lives. Everyone hated them except for Jesus. So Jesus sees Levi. He's sitting at a tax booth, and Jesus comes up to him and invites him to follow him. Jesus says, follow me. What the text doesn't record is that Jesus apparently said, follow me over to your house for dinner. Because that's what he ends up doing. In fact, Jesus actually does do that. He, if you remember the scene with Zacchaeus, that Jesus actually sees Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, I need to come over to your house for dinner. So Jesus did invite himself over. Sometimes we see in the Gospels. But here we do see what happens in Luke 5, With this dinner at Levi's house or Matthew's house. Let's read it in Luke chapter 5, verse 29. And Levi gave a big reception for him, for Jesus, in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with them. So Jesus really intentionally arranges a meal with people who are far from God. This is the gathering. Now, why does he do this? And uh, he, asks, he answers this question because he's asked this question again another time. And uh, let's look at verse, uh, verse 30, read. And the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax gatherers and sinners? So he's asked a question and he answers it. So why does Jesus do this strategy? Why does he have dinner with people who are far from God? Why is that a kingdom strategy that he does and he models for us? Why? Well, he's asked the question, and here's how he answers it. Luke 5, verse 31 and 32, Jesus says, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's why he does it. He does it because he wants to reach those people who are far from God. That's why he does this kingdom strategy of eating with people. Now, I love the story in Luke chapter 5 for a number of reasons. One of the reasons I love it is because I can identify with Levi because I too was far from God and Jesus came after me, came looking for me, came, found me. It's also true of all of us in this room and those online that know Jesus. There was a time you were far from God and Jesus came after you. He came looking for you. It's like he came to Levi that day and invited him to follow him. The reason any of us follow Christ is because he came to us and invited us to do it. And so. You know, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ took the initiative. He took the initiative to die for us on the cross, die in our place, take our sins upon himself, absorb the judgment that we were due. He also takes the initiative. He comes to seek and to save the lost. He's after us. He's pursuing us. And so just I can relate to this because like Levi, all of us too were far from God and Jesus came after us. But also, I, I love the fact that Jesus is called the friend of sinners. That's what, he, that's what they called him. Why? Because he kept eating with sinners. He kept hanging out with them, fellowshipping with those who are far from God. And during the course of that time, many people do a 180. Many people turn away from their sin and self and turn to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Zacchaeus is a perfect example of that. As you see in in Luke 19 account, where Zacchaeus, he's ready to repent and come to the Lord and, and, and change his whole life around because Jesus came for him and ends up eating at his house. So how strategic is it for us to follow this model? Well, remember, Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her deeds. So this strategy that Jesus uses was brilliant and very effective. And it's an example to follow. As I was studying this week, I was surprised to, to see something I'd never seen before in over 40 years of being in vocational ministry. I've never noticed this. And that is this, there's, there's three times in the New Testament that it says the Son of Man came to blank. Three times, only three times in the New Testament, it says the Son of Man came to and fill in the blank. Now, this terminology, the Son of Man, this title, Son of Man, is what the prophet Daniel in Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 7, is a reference to the Messiah, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the one who one day will rule over the nations of the world. In the book of Daniel, chapter 7, he comes to the Ancient of Days on his throne, Yahweh the Father, God the Father, and he's giving all authority in the nations as he will rule over them. This became, as Jesus started his ministry, his favorite title for himself. He loved to refer to himself as the Son of Man. And anybody who knew the Old Testament would know who he's talking about, Messiah. But there's only three times, it says in the New Testament, the Son of Man came to do something. What was it? Well, one time, I think a lot of you remember, in Mark 10:45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Son of Man came to give his life, to die on a cross, take our sins upon himself, absorb our judgment, give his life a ransom. That's the first time. Another time, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So now we see the Son of Man came to make a way for our salvation by paying for our sins, but also the Son of Man came pursuing us to save us. So that's what he came to do. He came to save us. He made a way to save us. The third place this this phrase is used is in Luke 7, verse 34. The son of man has come eating and drinking. Isn't that interesting? The first two times tells us what he came to do. Came to give his life for us that that we might have salvation. He pursues us for salvation. The third time, he tells us the strategy, how he goes about it. Very interesting. He came eating and drinking. So the Son of Man and the prophet Daniel, who received authority over the nations. Now Jesus, the Son of Man, comes, and how does he come? He doesn't come with an army of angels. He will the second time. He doesn't come on clouds of heaven. He will when he comes again. He doesn't come with a blaze of glory, but he will soon. No, the first time he comes, eating and drinking. Remember, that's the mystery of the kingdom. Remember the parable of the sower. See, the Jews of that day expected Messiah would come just with a great force and power and glory all at once and take take the enemies out and support the righteous. Instead, he comes like a sower sowing seed. He comes eating and drinking. He comes to seek and to save the law. The the Jews of that day would have thought, no, he must come in glory and power. But Luke constantly refers to him as coming, eating and drinking. In fact, Luke 7, 34, let's read the verse. It says, the son of man, Jesus says this of himself. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, glutton, of course, is someone who eats too much. And a drunkard is someone who drinks too much. The Pharisees saw Jesus eating and drinking so often that they accused him of overdoing it in the amount of eating and drinking. Of course, he wasn't. They just saw him so oftentimes doing it with people who are far from God. Well, Levi has an organized feast. It's a planned party, and he, he wants to invite all his non-believing friends to meet the guest of honor, Jesus. So here we have the story of Jesus hanging out with sinners to do what? He's hanging out with them so that he might draw them to repentance and to salvation, to know him as Savior and Lord. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of what's happening here. And I believe it's a model, a model for us. I think it's a kingdom strategy Of how to most effectively impact the lives of people who are far from God. Jesus models it. In fact, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul actually also do the same. So do many other followers of Jesus. They use the table or the meal as an opportunity to communicate the love of Christ to a hurting world. They invite people who are far from God to share a meal, and it becomes a key kingdom strategy. And it has been for centuries. So here's the deal. Practically, when you share a meal, you are nourishing people's need to be known. And also, you are facilitating a face-to-face conversation. See, I remember growing up at my house as a kid, I remember we ate around the table and we had a lot of face-to-face conversations. And then... As we became, as kids became older, we stopped meeting around the table. And we started eating on TV trays in front of the TV. And the level of face-to-face conversations went way down in our family. When I was 22 years old, I lived in the Palau Islands, and I had a very different experience. In fact, the Palauan culture was anytime you came to anybody's home, you would shout from a distance as you were coming and they would stop whatever they're doing and they would they would stop and we would sit around on a bamboo porch and there would be food brought and we would be face to face and we'd have some long conversations lots of storytelling getting to know them them getting to know me many times we would go late into the night having these conversations and i loved it there's something about sharing a meal together taking time to talk and share stories that brings people close together. The time I left there, and I was only there four months, the time I left at the airport, which is like a little bamboo shack, terminal, I mean, it was full of people who came to, to say goodbye to me, and they were all crying, and I was crying. We came so close in such a short period of time. And why was that? I think it's because we were always having that face-to-face conversation around food telling stories, getting to know each other. There was an intimacy developed, a nearness, and a friendship. It's very different in our culture today. I was at a restaurant the other day, and there was a family of four sitting at a table, a father, a mother, and a son and a daughter, both teenage years, and they all had their phones out the entire meal. And I never saw them say one word to each other the entire meal. She's sharing a meal is supposed to facilitate face-to-face conversation. But in our digitally connected world, we, we share a tremendous amount of information through text and emails and tweets and so forth. But there's not that good a communication because there is no face-to-face. There's no eye contact. There's no, there's no you know, nonverbal communication. And you lose so much. But when you share a meal with somebody, you've got to be face to face when you sit around the table because you're looking right at each other and you're talking. And so much happens around a meal. Tragically, in our modern Western culture, we have, you know, so little of this, what I would call authentic communication in real relationships or in the decline. And so many people don't invite others to their home anymore. And just don't do that. and uh, it's But it's a remarkably powerful thing that we've lost, I think, uh, in the West. Uh, as I've traveled a lot in the world, I've had an opportunity to share meals in lots of countries with people, China, Turkey, Nepal, Tibet, Myanmar, Thailand, Pakistan, Cuba, Madagascar, Spain, England, France, Uganda, Kenya. I can go on and on of countries I've sat across the table with people and shared a meal and heard their stories, and they heard mine, and something happens at that time that's powerful. And if you're sharing a meal with people who are far from God, and you're getting to hear their story and, as you're listening and learning about them, and they're hearing your story, there's something, a bridge is being built that God can greatly use you in their life because part of your story that you end up telling is what Jesus has done for you. I was in Mexico one time, and many of you know we've been doing ministry in Mexico for 33 years now. We built two orphanages. We staffed them for a number, about a dozen years uh, before we turned them over to the Mexican people. We have built a couple dozen churches in Mexico. And so one time I was going down and check on one of our ministries there, and I brought my daughter with me, who at that time was eight years old. And so we went there, and they knew I was coming, and they wanted to honor me as the pastor of the church that, you know, did all these things to help them. And so they they cooked a goat uh, in the ground. They dug a hole, and they put this goat underground, and they cooked it for, like, two days. And they had, like, leaves over it and then, you know, a, a top to it. And so it was time to take the goat out. It's time for the feast. So my daughter's with me. And uh, I say, well, Chelsea, let's go see it. Let's see what it looks like. So we walk over, and they take the lid off the hole. Steam, you know, smoke's coming up. They take the leaves off. And they reach down to grab the head of the goat to pull him out of the hole, and his head pops off. And so my daughter, Chelsea, who's eight at the time, says, Daddy, can I talk to you? I said, sure, hon, what is it? So she says, come over here. So we go over to her and she says, I just want you to know that I'm fasting today. <laughs> sharing meals can be an adventure. I tell you, I've eaten a lot of things I never knew what, what it was. I just watched the other people eat it and say, well, they're living, so I guess I'll try it. But you do learn to pray over your food with great faith. <laughs> but sharing meals with someone, I think, creates a form of intimacy An acceptance and friendship that I think is hard to replicate any other way than actually just inviting someone to your home to eat. You know, you'll hear their story, you'll they'll hear yours. We had a a very the the fact the number one evangelical theologian, scholar in the world at the time, his name was Carl. F.H. Henry. He was speaking at a seminary, and actually, a mutual friend of his and mine uh, actually arranged him to come speak at Grace Community Church on Sunday morning. Most of the people didn't know who he was at Grace, they didn't know the significance. They just knew this old man was speaking Sunday morning. Uh, but we wanted to have him over for dinner, so we invited him to come to dinner right after the services, and he agreed to. But Tracy's nervous now, so Tracy's thinking, well, what do we feed him? What is he like? Actually, there was a biography written about him, so we got a hold of that. And during the biography, I'm scanning it quickly, and he actually tells a story in in the biography about what his favorite meal was. And so Tracy got a hold of that, and she went out and bought all the ingredients and made his favorite meal to surprise him with. And he felt so honored and appreciated. We had such a a lovely time together. But when you go through inviting someone over to eat and preparing the table, there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of preparation. And all those details are communicating to that other person through your hospitality that, that uh, they matter to you. You're honoring them, and it's a meaningful time. It's an expression of love to invite someone over to eat. And Jesus models this. He utilizes these opportunities to express love and inclusion to people who are far from God and, uh, and communicate truth to them as they listen to them. So I want you guys to encourage you guys to invite someone over even this week. And you say, I can't do it this week, then next week. But go ahead and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. i want to invite someone who I believe is far from God just over to eat and just bless them. I'm just going to be kind to them. And I just want to hear their story and see what God might do. Now, I know some of you, even as I'm saying this, some of you who are a bit OCD are thinking, my house is too messy to invite anyone over. I know some of you are thinking that. And so I just want to... Uh, give some theological reflection to that subject and say, get over it. <laughs> See, really, people don't care really what your house looks they're, they're, They appreciate you inviting them over to eat, but I know some of you still can't get over it, so go ahead and just invite them to meet at the park for a picnic or invite them to lunch and go to a restaurant or whatever. Take it for a cup of coffee. Anytime you can get where you're face-to-face around something that's going to take some time and we can actually communicate, it can have great a great impact. So Jesus really, he says, wisdom is vindicated. It is vindicated. It is justified by its results. He gives us a strategy that I think is so easily overlooked, a strategy of being able to be face-to-face and communicate love and concern to people who are far from God and see what results in that as the Spirit of God is drawing them and answering the prayers you already began praying for them. So I just want to challenge you that even this week, if not this week, next week, think of who you might want to invite over. And if you say, I just can't do that at my house and say, and who are you going to say, we'd like to take you out to eat. We'd like to have dinner with you and spend some time face to face with them and see what the Lord will do as you listen to their stories and you tell them your story. And let's just see where God will take that. I think we're going to be amazed at what God will do with that. Because this actually is a kingdom strategy modeled for us by Christ. So as we do it, we're following that model. But as we do it, he's going to help it because he wants them saved a lot more than we do. So I challenge you to do that. Let's all continue to do that. I pray to be contagious as a church that we start to just live more and more this way uh, in the days to come. Let's all stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for this divine strategy that's something we all can do. It's something we all can do. We can invite someone over to eat, and we can listen to them and love them and just bless them and just trust you to do all the heavy lifting as far as making opening doors and as we share our story and convicting hearts and drawing people to yourself. We thank you that, Lord, you're the one that wants all this to happen. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would just put people on our minds and hearts that we're praying for and you give us just the opportunity and the courage just to invite them and you would just cause this to be a great blessing to them in the days to come. And I pray this would be contagious in our church, in our community, but also I pray it would be contagious in the church in in America, Lord, that we would really begin to follow this strategic kingdom uh, initiative, Lord, that you model for us. So we just ask that you would use us this week in the name of Jesus. Now, before we are dismissed, I would like to say that if you're new here, I'd love to meet you over here in this welcome area. But also we have connection corner back Your staff can answer any questions. And we have some leaders up here that'd be glad to pray for you before you go. God bless you. you. Uh, you're dismissed. And eat with somebody this week. Have a great week.